From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Seemingly against all odds, the 2020 season kicked off for the Gators last weekend in Oxford, where Florida put on a dazzling offensive display and a 51-35 win over Ole Miss to open the season. Now ranked in the top three in the nation for the first time in eight years, the Gators are gearing up to host South Carolina in their socially distanced Swamp debut. On today's show, We'll catch up with redshirt junior linebacker Ventro Miller to learn what it was like playing in the time of COVID, how he's taken the leadership reins from David Reese, and much more. Then, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us to reflect back on a wild opener and look ahead to the Gamecocks' biennial visit to Gainesville. But first, while the Florida defense was very rusty against the Rebels, linebacker Ventro Miller was a bright spot registering a remarkable 15 tackles with two for a loss and a sack on his way to SEC Defensive Player of the Week. We spent some time with the redshirt junior after practice this week and began our chat by finding out just how different the start of the 2020 year felt on the field. I mean, uh, definitely, it definitely felt great just to have the opportunity uh, to be out there again. Like you said, it was so much uncertainty, uh, but fighting through, still grinding, and, and just controlling what you can control. And like you said, it was a great fun to actually be out there and have a game. So, How sure were you it was going to happen? Were you one of the people that was like, it's going to happen, or were you? did you need to be convinced it was going to happen? Uh, so for me, I was I didn't know. But however, I was I was on the, on the more positive side. Like let's 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 keep working. Let's you feel me do what we can do. But just in case we do have a season. But I was a 50-50, But well, you came on the right side of the fifty. So glass half yeah, full. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. We'll chalk you up for glass half full. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because so much of college football is about the excitement, about the anticipation. You roll up on the bus through campus, and there's tailgating and there's partying. What was it like when you rolled up through uh, through Oxford and instead of the Grove being packed? I, I mean, it was a ghost town. But what was that like? A uh, little, little crazy, but definitely a different atmosphere. Uh, you had to basically uh, lock in, lock in momentally after, like, um, not to just treat anything like a scrimmage, not to just treat anything like a regular a regular game, but it's still a game on the line, everything like that. So it's a bit different atmosphere, but I think just being locked in, I was locked in and trying to come out there with a win. So. Yeah, before the game, both teams took a knee kind of in a show of solidarity. Can you talk about the way that that came together and why it was important for both teams to, to share that moment? Um, just, just with everything going on, all the, the social injustices and all that kind of stuff going on, uh, it was just a time for just to, to show the world like how, how everybody can stand together, like from a football perspective, uh, regardless of the race, uh, background, your social class, regardless, uh, we can all be unified. And that's what I think we showed by taking a knee. Once the game got going, did it feel normal? I mean, how did it? How was it different? Was it was it weird because there weren't as many fans? Or once you're in the game, do you not notice those things? I mean, you definitely notice uh, the crowd noise when the crowd noise ain't ain't. Uh, uh, but I say, like for me personally, 
like if you make a play, it's just like like you in the scrimmage, you know. I feel like for me, I don't really celebrate. So like in the scrimmage, but like having that crowd to just pump you up to go celebrate a little more, and like you you actually made a big play. And so just I I say that's how it was different for me. So when I when I made a big play, it was just like oh back to the back to the huddle. That's, that's next play. Well, and talking about some of the plays you made, you had that huge hit on third down that uh, had a lot of people comparing you to Brandon Spikes for his hit on mm-hmm. Sean Moreno. Uh, right. Can you tell us about that play? And uh, and did, did you feel it? Was it one of those moments where you're like, man, I, j- I just did something people are going to be talking about later? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I know I know. Uh, big Zach opened it up for me uh, down there in the trenches. So uh, big shout out to him. But I was just locked in on the back. That was my uh, coverage. I had the back. So when I seen him coming, I was just – I gave him all I had. So uh, – <laughs> I gave all I had, so um, that was really. But like I said, the the crowd wasn't in it, so I, it felt like I made a, a big play. But right. it was also, like, it wasn't as big as I thought it was until I actually went back and seen it, and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> well, and then and then you had some a lot of shout outs on uh, on social media. I saw Brandon Spikes himself even shouted you out for making mm-hmm. that play. What what is mm-hmm. that? What does a comparison like that mean to you? Uh, definitely an honor. Definitely shows. Uh, how I've been coming up, how far and came along. Um, glad to have, glad for him to even even say that. So it's definitely an honor for me. Um, but yeah, it's an honor. Uh, to come, keep coming out and getting better each and every day, uh, trying to, to be the best I can be. So um, I saw that Kyrie Elam said that that he felt like, from the defense's perspective, that it, it felt like a loss because of the way that the defense collectively played. In what ways do you feel like the defense came up short, and and what are the keys to correcting some of those mistakes? Uh, just uh, getting off the field on third down, I think one of the biggest things uh, we got to lock in and communicating, communicating effectively, making sure everybody on one page. And I think that just comes comes from uh, a little tackling. That comes from practice, uh, making sure you're in the right hand position, talking, communicating, and even if it's tempo, running, getting back to the ball, beating people back to the ball, and locking in, looking to the sideline to see what's going on next in the next play mentality. So, what's funny? You mentioned tackling, just getting more experience with that. It, it's funny because I feel like. People assume that if you're a football player, you just automatically can tackle like that. But Coach Mullen said, you know, not having spring ball, there were a lot of live reps that you guys that you didn't get. So, yeah. not that not that it's an excuse, but I mean, how much of their how much of tackling is sort of the the art form of having those reps and, and being able to practice it? Uh, definitely. Uh, like for once, like we only had like two times to actually go out and tackle for real. So, but it just uh. Like, cause we at practice, we thud up, and if you get really the right hand position, it, it's really harder than tackling. So, getting in those positions that practice and like making stuff harder than the game, it just puts you in a better position to tackle, to be able to tackle somebody, and just keeping your feet and all that different kind of stuff. But like I said, we only had two times to really actually tackle, so that's like out the whole year. Then we came to a game, so I I, I felt like we were gonna be rusty at that. But yeah, that just comes with experience, and, and like I said, just trying to get in the best uh, position you can at practice. I assume you guys don't start aggressively tackling each other now in practice. So how do you how do you improve that other than just getting out there? I mean, is there anything you can do in practice to simulate that? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's hard to just kind of actually just simulate because uh, however you get to tackle down, I mean, it's a tackle. But like I said, uh, like we got thudding up, like making sure like you in the right, like low hand position like thudding up uh guys and like I said that's that's actually harder than tackling and trying to uh, put yourself in the right position and thud up get low right, bring your arms and all that kind of stuff on um, when a person is on the run so that's a, that's just the way we try to get uh ready for the, for the game 
I'm not sure if I should know this, but what is thudding up? Can you describe thudding up to me? It's like basically getting in the hem position, if you get what I'm saying. Like, so if I if I were to go approach the runner, it'd be just like the play, the play from last week, I say, uh, just with getting low, striking the person, and then like wrapping them up and then just letting them go, not actually tackling them to the ground though. Okay. So that's something you can do in practice. Yeah, yeah. Have you gone too far and, and taken out a few teammates by accident when you're practicing coming <laughs> up? I mean, hey, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I, I try not, yeah, I try not to hurt nobody. Uh, but definitely trying to get in that hitting position, just like I said, so it could feel natural in the game. Yeah, it's gonna happen sometimes. It's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, it happens sometimes. Yeah. It happens sometimes. Um, I want to take things back for you now, if we can. Can you tell us a little bit about your family, where you grew up, and uh, those early years for you? Oh man, I'm just a just a kid from Lakeland, Florida, Polk County, man. Uh, I grew. I got five brothers now. Uh, wow. Yes, yeah, all boys. Um, my mama had it rough. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I basically grew up. My grandma, my grandparents did uh, did a big job in raising me as well as my mother uh, growing up. Um, I mean, we didn't have too much, but we had what we needed. So, um, but I know we played we played football for me. Football for me was year round. So. Uh, mm-hmm. Wasn't no no uh, basketball and nothing like that organized sports with me. I just played football year round. So football in the summer, football in the winter. So that was my go to sport. So where were you in the? So you five? Are you one of five? Or are you one of six? I'm one. Of, I'm one of five. One of five. And okay. I'm, I'm the second oldest, and I got three under me and one one above me. Wow. And does everybody play, or is it only a few of you play? Uh yeah. Every everybody play. My brother played at film. Uh my little brother. They played at the same high school I played at. Uh, one just graduated. One is senior year right now, and we got a little surprise today, but he's six, so he should be getting in um, football soon. So. How good were you relative to the others? I mean, did you what – was, what was the competition like between the five of you – or the four of you, I should say? Uh, that, and that's that's the thing. I guess uh, I know my brothers brought the competitiveness out of me. Whatever we whatever we did, uh, I was competing against my older brother, uh, my younger brother. I'm playing with my younger brothers, trying to get them better, so – Definitely having all boys, they brought the competitiveness out. I mean, the boys uh, pushed me. And anything we did, I'm trying to be the best at it. So I know that they were trying to do the same thing. So just always competing growing up, trying to be better than one another. And that, and I feel like that, that uh, shaped some of my character today. So. so football was always number one for you. How did it get that way? Like, when did you start and why did you go all in on it to where it was what you were doing year round? I don't know, like, since I was, like, four years old, that's just been a thing. I know my dad played football as well, so uh, just continuing on that legacy of this, this football just was always something that came natural to me, I'd say. Uh, growing up, had to think ball, footballs, and my baby pictures and all, all that, so I think that's just that's just been the ball I had since I was young. So, yeah, yeah I started at four, flat football, and the chest went on for now. So were you always a defensive guy? Did you always want to hit people, or did you start on offense and then you ended up transitioning over? Yeah, uh, I, I did a little both. So I was a linebacker. Uh, well, really, it, it, it uh, I was I was a bit of everything, uh, but most like mostly running back. I played running back growing up, so I always liked it to run the ball. Uh, I was thinking about doing it when I was when I when I went to high school, but I know my my uh, my little league coach uh, he he advised me that I should play linebacker. So I when I when I went out there, I, I jumped in the linebacker line and everything worked out for me. So you start getting attention, people are noticing you, and then you start getting offers. You get letters, people are calling you, visiting you. What do you remember about the recruiting process and why Florida stood out to you? Oh man. Uh... I know Florida was one of my late offers, so uh, well, it wasn't a late offer, but it was a little later than when I started to blow up. So 
just really when I got that offer, it was a Florida team, so I was definitely interested in, in the Florida going somewhere in Florida. And just the, uh, I know they had them, Coach Gray had them just came over here because I know he was at Virginia Tech, then he came he came to Florida, and then that's when like Coach Gray was my recruiter. So Coach Gray, he was he was on me when he, he was at Virginia Tech, but once once he transferred to Florida, the relationship continued and. I felt like they, they treated me as a priority, so it was, it was it from there. When you got on campus, who took you under their wing and helped you transition both on the field and also in the classroom and, and in your personal life? I'd say uh, I, I felt like I was a, like a little free bird. I guess I was hanging out with my class uh, early on in the, uh, when I first got here. I know uh, Reese and Bo, the boys, uh, the boys uh, looked out for me. I want to ask you some fun questions here. This is our pandemic pick section. I did this with Kyle Pitts last week. He's, he set the bar pretty high. Um, what is the best new TV show that you discovered during the pandemic? Oh, man. Uh, I see a little show that I've been watching. It's called Speechless. Uh, it's basically, I've seen it on. Really, this happened because I was uh, for a class, and basically it, it talked about a show, a TV show with a uh, that person with a disability. So I didn't really know too many, uh, but then my tutor had um, told me one of them, and she told me to watch it. And then basically, it went on from there. I started to enjoy, enjoy the, enjoy the show, and it's like twenty minutes, like each TV show. So I'm just running through them now. So that's good. You got you got a busy schedule. So yeah, twenty minutes here, twenty yeah. minutes there. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, most ambitious meal that you attempted to cook at home. Most ambitious meal, you know, I always got to go with the the uh the steak, the steak and the baked potatoes and and, and the broccoli. So I, I always att- attempt that. If you see how I go, uh, it's good to me. So that's all that matters, I, I guess. <laughs> that's that's tough. I mean, Kyle last week said burger and fries. You're taking it now. I mean, steak yeah. and potatoes next level. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm t- I'm trying to throw it down out there on, on the grill. <laughs> Are you like a are you a rare medium rare? How, how are you cooking that steak? I'm a, yeah, I'm a medium well type of guy. Okay, I, no, I am yeah, too. I'm a, a little little pink, yeah, like yeah. nice and juicy. No red though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it might have a little red. I guess a little red, but not really, not really red. But mostly, red, we're talking red. about we're talking about that yeah. that hot pink yeah. center. That's yeah, right. Hot pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. good. We're on the, we're on the same page about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, if you were forced to quarantine with one teammate for the entirety of the three to four month lockdown, who would you choose and why? I probably I'm probably going with Nick Smith. I know he ain't on the team right now, but um, he's still a part of the team for me. Uh, yeah, that's who I room. That's who I room with. So just, Nick Smith, I'm going with Nick Smith because that man. I, I feel like he a character. He ain't no telling how he how he gonna be today. He gonna make you laugh. <laughs> it, 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 it all depends with him. So. <laughs> Definitely a character, so love hanging around that dude. On the flip side of that, who could you not live with for that long of a time? Uh, I'm saying it's loosely, but probably James Houston. Nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> that's my dog. That's my dog. I'm picking on him right now. Nah, we just always we just always arguing, but it's it's a it's a it's a love thing. Uh, so, uh, we we fight with each other, but it's nothing nothing real. But that man is <laughs> crazy. <boy. laughs> um. So getting back to the, the field, David Reese was such an important leader for this defense and at that middle linebacker spot. How tough has it been not having his voice on the field and in the locker room? Um, definitely different uh, not to have Reese, a uh, brother in the locker room with us, some, somebody that we just used to always being around a uh, great four years of having him. Uh, but I say it's different, um, but it's just, 
for me, it just sparked me to, to try to uh, take over that role and try to uh, speak up to the guys and stuff like that. So trying to be that leader. So was that something the coaches asked you to do or did you just sort of fall into becoming the new de facto leader of the defense? I know coaches, uh, I think they, they seen it in me. So uh, Coach Rob always uh, talked to me and always tell me we need we need that uh, vocal, like that vocal leader uh, coming in. He encouraged me to, to do the best job I could at it, and it just started to grow on me So until now. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you worked really hard this offseason, both mentally and physically, to be the best leader you could be. I guess, first off, can you talk about the work you did in the gym to try and slim down a bit and why that was important for you? Oh, man, that's a, uh, that was some work, I'd say. Uh, I know that when everything happened, happened um, like you, got a, you got a chance to go home if you wanted to. I know I think. I don't even think I went home, but I stayed stayed up here and, and started to grind. Like that's when the grind started for me. Uh, and I know they uh, released it. Like we had like voluntary workouts, so uh, we started getting it in. Like and I had a coach to actually try to push me and pushing me and um, to get uh, stronger and stuff like that. Uh, running, getting my conditioning up, all that kind of things, and just doing the extra stuff. Uh, even when we got back. Uh, when everything started to be mandatory, just doing that extra stuff, uh, jogging around the. the uh, the practice facilities and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just like I said, getting my wind up. And it was a big thing eating right because I know for me, like I said, I'm a steak. I'm trying to eat at anything, right. anything like that. <laughs> you, so you, don't, you don't slim down eating steak and potatoes, yeah, do you? Yeah. Right. Nah, not too much. <laughs> so uh, just really, I know that's a big part of it that I, that I found out. My nutrition um, played a huge role in, in me getting my weight, my weight down. And, and when I started to – I always I always told myself I go on a diet. I, I go on a diet for like a week, but just this summer and stuff, I just been way more consistent with it and sticking with it, and the results started to come, started to come a little later on. But uh, it was definitely a grind, and uh, it ended up paying off for me. So, in terms of the the mental side, you talked a lot about becoming a better student of the game. Uh, what did that entail? Like, what were you able to do to become a better student of the game, and how different was it from the way you did it before? Just, uh, I say for me, just maturing, maturing more. Uh, like taking taking care of the small things and realizing the small things is what is make you like a champion in the sense. If you get what I'm saying, just uh, like I said, knocking out the small things, keying in on the small things, and getting better, like film and all that kind of stuff, and nutrition, uh, pointing out like every every little thing, like taking those into big consideration. You know, it's funny when people always talk about, oh, I'm starting to sound like my parents, right? If you're the new David Reese, are there any times you've caught yourself thinking, wait a minute, I sound like Reese. I was I was the guy getting this information before. Now I'm the one giving it to other people. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it definitely. You, you feel like that a little bit uh, just to see like the. Cause it's crazy to see uh, just how when you when you are young and immature, how when when older guys say stuff to you that you don't really think it has a big effect until you start to actually grow and mature yourself, and then you start to see what somebody was really talking about. So that's from a player, a, a older a older player or a coach, what coaches tell you. So and you start to see as you grow up, like how how, how those things really matter and the little things really matter. So. Couple final things for you as you get ready for South Carolina this week. Not asking for any secrets. Just curious uh, for expectations based on what you've seen on film. Where where are they dangerous? What are some areas you guys are focused on? I mean, we just like I said. Uh, I mean, just coming out and playing our football. Really, uh, they they pretty good team. Uh, we respect everybody and uh, just 
just like I said, we like we got to lock in on the things that we w- wasn't um, too uh, good at last week, like communication and all those things. So really, really controlling the things that we can control so we can go out and play our best football. So the swamp is still going to be the swamp this week, but it's going to be a little bit different with only mm-hmm. having, you know, under 20,000 yeah. fans there. Right. What are what are your expectations for playing in the swamp like that? I mean, there's going to be, you know, here come the Gators, but it's just it's yeah. all going to be a little bit different. How, how are you guys how are you guys talking about that? Yeah, so I know the swamp. The swamp ain't gonna be as electric as it should be uh, this year, but it's just the same. That same mentality, uh, like not coming to home, like in the swamp. Like we, sh- we, you don't lose in the swamp. So just having that that mentality of, even though it might not be fans in the, in the stand, we still had that, that same mentality. Uh, we don't lose in the swamp and defending the swamp by all means. Expectations for the Florida offense were high entering the season. But few could have guessed just how good Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts would be from the jump, with both receiving praise from fans and pundits alike after their stellar debuts. So to open our roundtable with the senior writers from FloridaGators.com, we asked Scott and Chris to put those performances in context. I think uh, Florida fans or Dan Mullen, Brian Johnson, whoever you want to ask in orange and blue, I don't think they can complain too much about the two Kyles from game one. Uh, again, a, a, a storyline all off season was, you know, this offense has potential to be a good offense despite losing those four senior receivers from last year. And a lot of that topic or a lot of the reason was because of Kyle Trask, your veteran experienced quarterback. And then of course to go to tight end and Kyle Pitts and, and that story played out exactly as many envisioned against Ole Miss. I mean, Trask has a career game, what, 416 yards, six touchdowns, and Kyle Pitts. I mean, he looked like the old cliche man against boys. That's what Kyle Pitts looked like out there. He, I mean, that stiff arm he made on the linebacker, that was, mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that was one that I thought maybe would get more on the highlight reel, and maybe it has. I just haven't seen him. But anyway, just watching him go out there and, and do the, what he did, I mean, he was good in all areas had a nice back shoulder catch, had the big 71-yard touchdown. And, you know, Dan Mullen has talked about it all week because obviously he's gotten a lot of questions about Kyle Pitts going into the South Carolina game. And it's like he's there's really no formula to, to stop him. I mean, he can he can go downfield and, and get up and over the, uh, the defensive backs. He can outrun your linebackers. And Mullen was saying, unless you have – he, he loves that term unicorn. Unless you have a unicorn in the in the secondary or a linebacker to defend the Gators unicorn in Kyle Pitts, such an unusual skill set and, and what he can do, play outside, inside, go deep, play underneath, uh, you are, your defense is going to be in trouble. And I'm guessing as Ole Miss in the wake of that game, they realized that they didn't have a unicorn, I don't think. <laughs> we have a unicorn. That's Chris is our unicorn. Yeah, I I was trying to think if the closest thing that I've seen to a Kyle Pitts, and uh, I started thinking about it when I was in 1996. I was here, and Javon Curse showed up, and Javon Curse mm-hmm. came from Fort Myers as a safety, a six six, two hundred and thirty pound safety. He's he a unicorn. Quick, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he quick he quickly became a. 6'6", 240-pound outside linebacker, okay? But by the time the first game rolled around, uh, he was a 6'6 and a half, uh, 255-pound defensive end. 
So a lot of guys move down one position. He moved down two. And it, you just you, he was so long and so athletic and so big and so strong that he was just a, a problem. And uh, he, was, he was the, you know, anointed the original here freak. Uh, this guy is a, is a freak on steroids almost. I mean, uh, tight end position. I remember, um, you'll like this, Adam. Uh, uh, John Gruden loved tight ends. <laughs> tight ends. They're the joker in the deck. I think I said that last week too, but I'm going to emphasize it this week because what do you do with this guy? Um, uh, like Kyle Trasetti, he, 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 he's, he's going to outsize a cornerback uh, and a safety, and he's, he's going to outrun a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And that that stiff arm that Scott referenced, uh, I saw when it happened. He's running away from the guy, just like eh, like a gnat. Right. Get, and that's Buzz a linebacker. Off. He's doing that too. Yeah. So while he's running the other way, you know, trying to trying to take off the full speed. So um, you're gonna have to put two on him. Okay. Good luck with that because they got other guys mm-hmm. that Kyle Trask is going to be able to uh, uh, throw to. And I tell you what, if, if the, the people that are listening to this. Um, you get a chance, go back and look at, uh, or excuse me, go to Twitter and try to find Jordan uh, Rogers' <clears throat> uh, Twitter. And he did about a 10-minute breakdown on uh, Kyle Trask's ability to work through progressions. And I got a feeling that Kyle Pitts is going to be his first option on a lot of uh, uh, pass plays in the coming weeks. And if he's got two guys on him and he's able to work through his progressions like he did the other day uh, against Ole Miss, uh, there's going to be some other players that are going to have some big games. He's going to be able to spread the ball around really, really well, and we're going to get to know some of these uh, other receivers a lot better. But that was uh, that was an incredible performance. Uh, you know, you wonder if he can duplicate something like that. Um, what it had been 25 years since I kill you caught four touchdowns in a game, 27 since Jack Jackson did it, or 26 since Jack Jackson did it. Um, an incredible performance by, like Scott said. Uh, a unicorn and I don't know if there's any player like him and that guy's a top 10 draft pick he may even go uh maybe like you might be flirting with the first I don't know if there's ever been a tight end taken in a top five mm-hmm. but this guy may be that kind of a weapon just because of his size and his reach and his length and those gigantic hands of his when in terms of you mentioned other guys that it could open the game up for we also saw what I think is maybe one of the more complete performances from Kadarius Tony. And, and you always hear people that are frustrated, he doesn't get the ball more. How are you going to use him? Is he, is he a runner? You, you know, how is he with his routes? I mean, I thought he was pretty complete in terms of the compliment that he brought to special teams as well. I mean, he was in a lot of different roles where you can see that game-breaking ability maybe eight, nine touches a game as opposed to two or three, which is what we saw often last year. He ran between the tackles for that mm-hmm. 50 yarder, if I'm not mistaken, right, Scott? Yeah, uh, maybe he got through the middle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what you wonder what, what kind of a running back he would be. You figure he'd be, a, he, he'd be an edge runner or, or, or a guy who gets, some, who gets in space. But uh, Dan Mullen mentioned after the game that they've, done, they've spent time talking to him saying, you know, he doesn't have to be the joystick every time. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have to be this guy where you get him in space and uh, Mullen always said, no play that we call for Kadarius Tony ends up looking like the play that we call for Kadarius Tony because <laughs> he always ends up on the other side of the field running right. backwards or whatever. So take your five and six yards if you can get it. Take your four and five yards if you can get it. And if he starts getting uh, figuring that out a little bit, then maybe guys are going to be a little more cavalier, maybe tackling him, and then all of a sudden he's he's in the open field again. But to your point, yeah, he did show a little more of an element to that. And uh, 
as long as he stays healthy because he, he got hurt right out of the box last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. if, he, if he can stay healthy, like you said, uh, uh, another weapon. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was by far his most complete game at Florida. He was catching the ball downfield, which we typically haven't seen a lot. We've seen him mm-hmm. take those little swing passes or screens and then do the rest with his athletic ability and quickness. But he got down the field and uh, is reliable in the passing game down the field. That's a new wrinkle. Uh, getting the ball, like Chris said, haven't seen that up the middle run so much. So uh, the key always with him, Adam, like you said, the fans have always complained about we got to get that guy to ball more. You got to get that guy to ball more. And a lot of that goes back to his injury problems. And I think the coaches that he's played for here understand that he's been somewhat fragile uh, when he is on the field. He's going to give you a few explosive plays, but uh, you got to be consistent to be great, and uh, I think that's his next step to be a great player. He's got to make those uh, plays like you did at Ole Miss on a consistent basis and stay healthy to be able to do it. Yeah, and I think his future, baby, in the, in the NFL, and obviously he's an NFL prospect, people are going to want him as a kick returner. So mm-hmm. I don't really think we've seen – we haven't seen that much of him. I know he's back there on punts uh, the other day. Not that there are a lot of punting going on in that game, <laughs> uh, but that's something uh, to keep an eye on with him also. Mm-hmm. Any other surprises for you guys offensively? Anyone that you were maybe thinking you would see more from or someone who outperformed what your expectations were? Well, after Tony, for me, he was that guy. But then, you know, anytime you have a your, your guy projected to be your starting center, uh, you know, miss the game like Ethan White did and the guy who comes in to replace him, although he's a veteran, Brett Heggie, and he gets SEC offense alignment a week. I mean, the, that unit up front was doing something right. I thought Heggie, it was kind of a seamless transition. We saw David Reese, the, the grad transfer from Mississippi State, make his first career start. Uh, he was pretty quiet in terms of getting called out, so that typically means he played a pretty decent game. So, you know, there, there were questions about the offensive line uh, going into this game as far as would they be better than the, the group that the Gators had last year. And I think they answered that, yes. Uh, I know the Trask got sacked once, but for the most part, he dropped back 42 times and really didn't face much pressure overall. I mean, he had moments, but for the most part, I think between uh, going through those progressions, reading them faster, losing a little weight, quicker with his feet, uh, I thought he moved around there better. So I just looked at the offensive line's performances as maybe alleviating some doubts up there uh, against, let's face it, Ole Miss is not going to be the best defense they play all year. The one mm-hmm. they're, they're going to get a lot stiffer challenge this week against Will Muschamp in South Carolina. But for game one, I thought the offensive line certainly passed the test. I liked seeing Malik Davis stick his foot in the ground and mm-hmm. cut a field and make make a couple nice runs, uh, made some guys miss, you know, put his head down and got what was there. Um, you know, defensively, I think we were wondering what guys were going to show up. And I think that's one of the things I talked about last week. But uh, Brenton Cox made a couple splash plays early early in the week. We really wanted to know this guy sat out last season. He made it. He made a difference on a couple plays. He had the batted pass that became an interception. The Gators mm-hmm. were able to turn into a touchdown. But my goodness, uh, Ventrell Miller on a <laughs> on a defense that gives up 613 <laughs> yards of total offense. He gets SEC Defensive Player of the Week. That is he wild. Must, and it, was he the only guy on the field? Uh, maybe <laughs> it was 11 on one. Uh, 15 tackles, uh, two for loss. He had a sack. I thought I, I saw the guy early in his career in a couple scrimmages. I, I thought he was going to be great. 
he was great the other day. Some guys need to be great around him to help him out. And, uh, and I think we'll see Mullen has said, we're going to see uh, some better defense starting this week. And I think part of that will be, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, there are going to be some more bullets in the chamber when the, when the Gators uh, line up against South Carolina on defense. Yeah, and you know, defensively, that, that's where we'll turn next. Obviously, it was not a very good performance for Florida. And uh, Kyrie Elam even said it, it felt like a loss because of the way that we played, even though the team did win by 16. Um, I, I guess for you guys, just based on what you've seen, your expectations for the defense, obviously better than that has to be the expectation. But is this maybe like a, a Florida 2007 where you've got an incredible offense, but a defense that's going to give up a lot of points, and therefore you've got to keep scoring. How much of what we saw do you think was symptomatic of first game with no spring practice, et cetera, or Florida just not being at the same level that they have been in, in recent years? You know, they have overreaction Monday in the NFL. There was overreaction Sunday. And and that's not to say that the defense wasn't bad. There are a lot of breakdowns on the defense. But I do think you got to give Ole Miss some credit for what they were able to do and sometimes using Florida speed against them, just creativity. Uh, I think they planned for a lot more uh, of, of John Rice Plumley than they probably saw. And they got a little more Matt Corral than they probably a- anticipated. Mm-hmm. Matt Corral made some plays with his legs. I thought, um, you know, I, losing Sean Davis, 10 plays in the game. I, that was significant because uh, you don't have Brad Stewart. Now you don't have Sean Davis and, uh, now you're going. Now you're going to a true freshman, Rashad Torrance the second back there. You don't have Kyrie Campbell who started 13 games last season. You don't have Jeremiah Moon coming on the edge. So there are guys missing that are going to be back. So there's something to be said also. And they talked about this uh, months out of this game, just knowing what to expect from Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, he kind of sent a message to the league. You know, our offense is going to be pretty good. So uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to say Mullen knows what he's talking about on this, saying this, this defense is going to be a lot better. Um, Scott was there. Did you, did you think it was like a Pearl Harbor crew uh, <laughs> uh, uh, blowing up all over the place or what? No, I mean, I think we saw what we've seen around college football so far. You know, there's so often the case that we're early in camp and early in the season, you hear the defenses are ahead of the offenses. I think 2020's flipped. I think the offenses are certainly ahead of the defenses. And a large reason is because defensive players, it's harder to get your body back acclimated and going wanting to hit people when you haven't done that in nine months. I mean, it takes a while to readjust and get that mindset. And you're seeing it all around the game right now with some big offensive games, uh, big numbers across the country. Obviously, both offenses were excellent in the Ole Miss-Florida game. I think in Florida's case, going to your point, Adam, I mean, it's way too early, man, to make any final conclusions on this defense. 613 yards, yeah, it doesn't look good, but guess what? I'm going to go out on a limb, fellas, and say that's going to be the most the Gators give up all year. Uh, I think (laughs) I feel pretty safe with that. Uh, Lane Kiffin, you got to give a lot of – Might be the most old miss gains too, by the way. Yeah, you got to give Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss some credit too. I mean – they were, the Gators did have more concern with Plumley because they've seen what running quarterbacks can do, and Mullen talked about him all week. So when they went to Corral, uh, it changed the the identity of Ole Miss's offense some, and and the defense, the defensive backs. I mean, they did look lost on a couple of passes. They looked like the ball was in the air, and no one really knew where it was. And I think that's why you heard some of the frustration this week from Kyrie Elam because. 
that's very unlike Florida. So I think they're going to clean that up. But again, you're without Moon, Campbell, uh, Stewart. They lost Davis early. You get those guys back, you start cleaning some things up, you get these guys reacclimated to being physical like Grantham and Florida likes to play. I and you expect- got and you got and you got tape, actual tape of South mm-hmm. Carolina to prepare for personnel uh, matchups and, sure. and scheme and that kind of stuff, which you did not have in the game before. And that tape, from what I saw against Tennessee, will not look nearly as scary as what Ole Miss looked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Scott, you mentioned, or Chris mentioned a second ago, Scott, you know, what do you think? You were at the game. Um, Not a lot of people were at the game. You were one of the few that was actually able to be there. And this is something that I I talked to Ventral Miller about. But from your perspective as someone who's covered hundreds, if not thousands of of football games, I mean, what was it like? Was Was it as bizarre as one would think it was, the whole environment, or rather the lack thereof? It was very different. I mean, I think it first hit me when we, we landed and we got on the road to the stadium. I was just kind of looking out the window, and the next thing I knew, we were pulling up to the stadium, and we hadn't even stopped in any traffic or anything. So we right. got out of the stadium there, and we just walk up to a gate, and there's, there's security there, but there was no line or anything, and this was less than two hours before kickoff. So right away, you knew that, that 2020 SEC football was not going to be uh, what we are accustomed to, and you know, I walked all around the stadium, Adam, uh, for kind of a scene-setting story I was doing. And, you know, there wasn't a buzz out there. It was just like what I would compare to a, a mildly attended spring game, a much more mm-hmm. laid-back atmosphere, uh, no no tailgating or anything of that nature outside. Uh, you get into the stadium, and it's – I thought Ole Miss did a pretty good job from a standpoint of spreading their fans out and making the stadium – Looked like it had people in it. And once the game starts, you kind of get into your mode that you always do. And I think those three and a half hours felt the most normal to me. But then everything around the game, everything outside, you know, I walked all around all around the concourses. And there was a couple of concession stands that had little lines. But for the most part, you had plenty of room. Uh, people were wearing their masks, social distancing. So that's just, that's just what we are going to be accustomed to in 2020. It's going to feel – going to feel different for people at the swamp this weekend who uh, come up to the game it's going to be similar in a lot of ways uh it's not going to be it's not going to be the 90,000 uh where you can hear the stadium on big plays down in meet canopy but once the football game starts and those fans in there you know i think that's when it will feel most normal well and Moving on to, to talking about this weekend and, and South Carolina, it is, of course, Will Muschamp, who is on, uh, let's say, tenuous ground right now with South Carolina entering the year. A lot of people thought he may not have made it through last year, but he's still in the job now. Uh, <laughs> was the, the victim of a leaked video on social media last week that was uh, basically, it was the talk of, the talk of Twitter on uh, SEC's first game day, but uh, you know they they were they were pretty competitive with Tennessee. Ultimately, lost on one of those you know funky plays that always seems to bite Will Muschamp teams. Um, but I, I'd say it, it seems to be about normal from what we've seen from South Carolina under him. Would you say that's fair? I'd say Florida fans have seen a few Muschamp games like South Carolina fans saw against Tennessee. I mean that's. That's kind of looked a lot like it. It looked a lot like the last Muschamp Florida game, where, <laughs> the, 
bunch of special team gas yeah. and ended up with this termination the next day. Excuse mm-hmm. me, Scott. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you're right, Chris. It's It, it really did. It, it brought back some memories there. He's a guy that I've always, I've always liked. You want to see succeed. People talk about, you hear reference to Zook luck, Muschamp luck. And, you know, like we said at the, just a couple seconds ago, it's, this is a, it's a pattern and, and sometimes you make your own luck. Right. And Mm -hmm. all I know is that's a seven point game with a few minutes left and he kicks a field goal when they're down there close enough to probably score a touchdown. Now, if you don't, if you don't make the first down instead of kicking the field goal, it's still a one possession game. It's still a touchdown. You're going to need a touchdown anyway, because you're down four, right? Mm -hmm. So you're already down there. Are you really going to get down there again? So um, just a different way of looking at things. I, I, I've always said I think if Muschamp knew going into a game that he could play a, a, a thirteen to ten game, he would sign the doc, he would sign on the, the papers right then and there. Getting into a shootout with him, I don't think he wants to do that. And then you know you put yourself in a position where, my goodness gracious, the ball hits this return man's doing the right thing, get away from the ball, you know, and mm-hmm. some guy's trying to block some guy and hits off his leg, and and they show Will over there and. I'm sure everything he said on that uh, viral Twitter video, he mumbled to himself at that time or, or probably screamed at the top of his lungs. <laughs> um, one, one thing that did stand out from their game against Tennessee, and, and Tennessee wasn't overly impressive either with all the talk that they've had coming to the year, uh, but defensively, I mean, South Carolina held Tennessee to one of 12 on third down conversions. So, uh, you know, there, I think there's there's a tendency to get caught up in the, the must-champ narrative of, you know, the, the Charlie Brown slips, football hits him. But there are some things that he consistently does well, and certainly third down defense is a strength for this team and something that Florida was really, really good at against Ole Miss that may not be quite as easy. Yeah, I mean, defense has always been his calling card, and now he's going to face maybe the best Florida offense he's, he's ever seen, uh, at least since he was first came as coach here and now in the last few years is facing him. So that's the, that's the matchup that people will be watching, Adam. Uh, it always is with Will Muschamp coach teams. But on the flip side of that, uh, there's an interesting little storyline with the IR defense. You know, Todd Grantham and Mike Bobo were both coordinators at Georgia under Mark Rick. So, you know, they, would, they went at each other in practice every day with Bobo calling the offense and Grantham calling the defense. So you got some familiarity there too. And they've already faced each other because remember last year when Colorado State uh, came down. Mike Bobo was their head coach then. Now he's offensive mm-hmm. coordinator at South Carolina. And of course, uh, Florida got the better of them that day. So you, you do have some intriguing matchups there. I know South Carolina is always uh, going to have good defense. So many of those familiar faces are still with him up there. Tavares Robinson is still there. Mike Peterson. Uh, so you, you got some Florida Gator connections up there. And it's kind of, uh, I don't know, ironic coincidental, whatever you want to call it, that here he comes to Florida. And uh, the last time the Gators were ranked number three in the country, as they are this week, Will (laughs) Will Muschamp is their head coach. And their first game in 2012, when they were number three, they played South Carolina and Steve Spurrier. The Gators won that day 44-11. They lost the next week to Georgia uh, on that famous Jordan Reed fumble that when they were driving down the field. And quite frankly, I don't think Florida – was ever the same under Will Muschamp after that loss. So it's just the interesting the little subplots that we like to talk about. Yeah, South Carolina, they got Colin Hill as the senior quarterback. So uh, um, 
you know, he completed 64% of his passes last week, 290 yards. The guy to watch is this guy, Shy Smith. He had 10 catches, 140 yards, had a touchdown. Um, he's a, one of those jitterbug kind of receivers that, that they get up there in South Carolina. And I tell you what, he's, uh, he yaps. And there was, they were down there close to, uh, to trying to score, and they had a third and six, I think, or a third and eight. This guy had just caught like a two-yard pass, and he was in the face of some Tennessee defensive back. Mustang had to get him out of the game because he was so disengaged. And he's on the sidelines throwing a third and eight. He's their best player on offense, their most dangerous receiver. And so this is a guy who maybe Florida's DBs can maybe uh, uh, get in his head a little bit because he certainly showed that that can happen last week. But he is their most explosive player on that side of the ball. They, they, they only rushed for 89 yards last week. Uh, but Shai Smith, uh, 10 yard, like I said, 10 catches, 140 yards, touchdown. Um, he's a person that Florida needs to concentrate on defensively. So we've obviously already addressed that it's going to be a, a different kind of game in the swamp, and and I think you know as we've seen other teams, other schools do this around the country and, and do it poorly. Uh, a lot of us knew that you know Florida is going to do this a little bit differently, and you're going to have rules. They're going to be enforced, and even uh, with what I, I saw this week, putting out looking at the seating plan, that was well thought through. So. You know, Chris, there's a lot of things that the Gators are doing to make sure this is safe and also ways to engage fans who can't be there and can't experience what they're used to when it comes to Florida football. Here's one of the things that maybe you didn't think about so much that back when um, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were bailing and the SEC was saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to wait a little longer. Well, in the time since, Florida went to a game at Jacksonville. They went to a game uh, in Miami. Uh, they went to uh, the Ole Miss game. They've absorbed some things how to how to pull this all off now uh, in conjunction, obviously, with Florida Health and the Alachua uh, f- first responders in Alachua County. They got, they got a plan this week. I wrote a story for it. There's a video uh, kind of going over uh, these uh, COVID protocols. And um, basically what, the, what, what they want people to know, from the moment you're in the parking lot walking up to the game, you're, you're going to notice a difference. And it's a, more than a difference in the fact there's only going to be uh, 17,000 fans in the stands. I mean, you gotta, you're going to have ushers everywhere holding signs in your face telling you to wear your mask. Uh, don't forget to wash your hands. The, the concession stands, everything will be pre-wrapped. Uh, you'll be social distancing in line there. You can order on your uh, a Florida Gators app and go pick it up so you don't have to wait, like kind of like going into a Starbucks for a mobile order or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned the, 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 the seating arrangement. I mean, they're skipping rows. So people, there's no way anyone's going to be climbing over each other. The ushers down in the bleachers are going to make sure you're not, or excuse me, in the stands are going to make sure you're not sitting on the aluminums. Every seat that, that we'll be sat in will be a cushion seat. So mm-hmm. that's be easy, much easier to find in terms of where everyone is supposed to be. So uh, 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 Scott Strickland summed it up, Adam, pretty well when he said, look, it's, it's going to be different, but that doesn't mean it can't be fun. It's a football game, and we got a really, really good team. So come on out and watch it. So uh, uh, there's still tickets left. I think there will be. And go to the website. And if you want to come out, make a decision to come out. Uh, wear your mask, and you'll be distanced, and a good time will be had by all, I would imagine. I imagine that uh, in the swamp, Masks will not be chin straps like they've been so many other places. Yeah, like on the sidelines with head coaches, right? <laughs> yeah. Although, 
Although it's amazing, I don't know if you guys noticed this, Sean Payton, after getting fined $100,000 for not wearing a mask in week one, in week two, he was masked up the entire time. So I guess $100,000 makes people pay attention. That's a dent. I mean, you know, it's not like yeah. $10,000. $100,000 a dent. Yeah. I don't care what you're making. So we certainly hope to see a, a nice crowd in the swamp and that, that people are there, that they're safe, they're enjoying themselves, and we, uh, we hope and expect that will be the case. Time now, though, to move to our PAT. And uh, we started broaching this last week with our, our pandemic picks. I told you guys I was running through a lot of them with the players that we're speaking to. And uh, we're going to siphon them off little by little here for you as well. So last week we talked about pandemic TV. This week let's talk about pandemic movies. Not a movie you went out and saw, but a, a new movie that maybe it's something you thought for a long time. I'd like to see that, but I never actually put the effort in but because you had the time it was on a streaming service you sat down and you, you took it in um maybe not even the best movie what was the most interesting new movie that you discovered during the quarantine period well during one part of the quarantine adam you know it was starting to slow down with some work and i mean i, I was a regular on those websites where top 100 movies on Amazon right now or top 100 yeah. movies on Netflix. So I go down these lists and I'd look <laughs> at them and obviously a lot of them I've seen, but there was always a few that I'd never seen and never heard of. So one night I came across this one called Midsommar and I don't know, I, I'm not a big horror movie or scary movie kind of guy. I mean, they're, I don't really take them seriously often. They, I find more humor in them than I actually do fear, but this one was freaky enough to pull me in and, uh, you know, it was just the, it was this, the, the way they shot it and the story was told. It kind of captured my attention one night. And uh, I mean, it was a freaky movie if you haven't seen it. It's Is one- it like scary? Cause here's my thing. I like I like a, a good twisted psychological type throw, like you know, Get Out or yes. Us. Is it? This is. I, I don't, I'm not. I'm not doing the slasher stuff, but no, I like no. something that's going to make you this think. One, this one had certainly you. was more on what you're saying, more of that genre. I mean, there was some, there was a couple of grotesque scenes in it, but it wasn't a slasher film by any means. Who's in it? it it's, you know, it's people I really no don't one know. You know. It's no one famous. <laughs> it's just a movie that got a lot of, uh, a lot of buzz, as they say in today's world. And uh, it's, it's one, uh, you know, that was shot with, like I said, a cast I really didn't know anybody, anything about. But it, the, the cinematography photography was awesome. The story was good, and it just kept you like, what in the world's going on here? Where is this going? And, I mean, that's what a good movie is all about, right? So it, it might, kept I my, might have to line that one up. It kept my attention, and it, it's one that it's – and I watched a lot. I mean, I watched some of the – what was the one, uh, Richard Jewell? I wanted to watch that. I watched that. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I mean, I watched uh, the uh, – what was the latest Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Uh, once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I watched that. I mean, I watched all the – the big hits, but I also picked off some unknown ones, and Midsummer was the one that I remember the most. Chris, what uh, what caught and captured your attention uh, during the pandemic? Can I give you two? Because they're kind of like opposite. You can't. Kind of. I think Scott gave me like seven, so two is is more than fair. I like Just Mercy. That had really uh, obviously uh, Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx and Brie Larson. Just the story about the attorney going down to Alabama and trying to. Uh, fight the death penalty on some of these guys. I, I just thought, especially given the climate, um, that was something that uh, a lot of people were watching going around. And I, obviously Michael B. Jordan is a, is on the fast track uh, mm-hmm. to become a, a, a superstar. Um, 
and obviously Jamie Foxx already is. Did you know that he is playing Mike Tyson in the Mike Tyson biopic? Is he? Really? Yeah, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Jimmy Hart. I did not know that. Thought, and I tell you what, I've already seen like a clip of him imitate Mike Tyson, and I mean it's perfect. They just got to now. Now they just got to go and try to look like Mike Tyson, and I imagine they'll be able to pull that off. Is he gonna get that and tattoo? Here, Huh? You gonna get the tattoo? <laughs> well, may, I, I, I assume he is. Yeah. He's got to go full, go full method and get the real tattoo. Yeah, I mean, That's method yeah, acting. Like you got to get it, like get it, or or can your makeup artist do it for oh, you? I guess he'll go makeup I think artist. That's I think that's acceptable. Yeah. And, and no, he's got to get the real thing if he's committed. A well, committed. Well, it will be Daniel, his last movie then. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis would get the real tattoo. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis probably would, do would it. get the real. He would do it. He would still. He'd be in character right now uh, uh, as Mike Tyson. <laughs> now there's a movie. Uh, kind of under the radar movie uh, called Peanut Butter Falcon. Y'all have heard of it? Yeah, I actually saw that in theaters. Yes, it, yeah, uh, it was Shia LaBeef and uh, Shia LaBeef. Shia LaBeef. Right? It's Shia, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it's Shia LaBeouf. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. We're Adam's reaction. <laughs> yeah, so it's Shia LaBeouf, but calling him LaBeouf is pretty funny. Shia LaBeouf is back in a in a movie after uh, God only knows what's happened with him. Has he been in prison or something? Didn't he go to jail? Or I don't something? know if he went to jail. I can't remember. He, I mean, he was he was on a, a dark path. I don't know. Yeah, if he, he ever was went on a very dark path, and uh, people don't know the peanut peanut butter is it's, it's he and uh, uh, he befriends a, a, a Down syndrome a boy, and they go on this. Uh, uh, kind of like an odyssey. And I think it takes place down in Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. down on the bayou yeah. of Louisiana. And they have some adventures or what have you. And um, I watched it with my wife and daughter when my daughter was still here. And it was, it, it was a cute movie. So you have Just Mercy, which I thought was just a, a great, you know, dramatic film. Uh, really, really good. And then this one was kind of like a feel-good, kind of breezy, kind of a, a good little COVID movie that we enjoyed. So the one that I would recommend, I've, I watched a few, most of the things that came out on streaming, a lot of which that were supposed to go to theaters, but bypassed it. Did either of you guys watch Palm Springs that was on Hulu? I have not seen it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I just, I just made the rest of your weeks much, much better with this recommendation. So it's essentially, it's a version of Groundhog Day, but where there's two people that are stuck in the loop together that keep repeating the same day over and over and over again. It's two people that meet at a wedding, Andy Samberg and another actress who's, uh, who's pretty unknown. Um, and so what happens if you're going through essentially Groundhog Day, but there's someone else who you're experiencing it with? Um, it was really funny. Also, made, made you think a good bit too. So someone else who you probably didn't think had that much range in Andy Samberg that, uh, that showed a good bit of it. So... That's on Hulu. I would recommend that for you guys, and I think you'll both enjoy it. So some good movies here for uh, for people to go check out if they have some time. But really the focus, of course, is Florida and South Carolina. First game in the swamp. Uh, you both will be at the game this weekend, correct? We'll both be at the game. Both in attendance. Uh, what can people check out on FloydGators.com leading up to the game? Well, uh, Chris has a story, as you mentioned, about uh, what the environment's going to be like at the swamp, what fans need to be aware of. Uh, and Adam, of course, I'll be delivering with the opening kickoff, which is one of the things. Opening that Chris, kickoff. Chris is again; he's usually the first guy in there reading that. And I know this might be a shock to you guys, but I will be writing about Kyle Pitts. Uh, so we'll give, <laughs> give me a little bit more on Kyle Pitts. I uh, I popped out and talked to his parents after the game the other day. They were both there, and also got Kyle with, with some just different stuff. And uh, anyway, 
that's that's kind of some of the things I have coming. So make sure to check out that content on FloridaGators.com. Follow them on Twitter before, during, after the game at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris. And uh, we look forward to talking all about it next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow the Gators in their home debut on Saturday at noon against South Carolina on ESPN and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College, then come back here next Thursday for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.